Welcome to the Peg Leg Podcast. I'm Greg Marshall. This is episode 34. I'm calling it, I Messed Up and It Changed Me. One time, I was invited to make a big presentation to a company. I had helped rebrand, reorganize their story, their message. And this was an opportunity to introduce it to everybody, hundreds of people, lots and lots of people. The leadership that was part of the process was there and all of their employees. And the first half of the presentation, I was killing it. It was great. I was nailing it. But something happened when I, ch- I changed the slide and I looked at the slide and it was not the slide I was expecting. They were out of order. And at that moment, the framework in my head for what I was doing totally collapsed. And I didn't know where I was in the presentation. It was in that moment that I realized I had not internalized this talk as much as I normally would have. And I winged it. I didn't know what to do, so I started just trusting my intuition and the momentum of my mouth. And by the end of the talk, I knew that it wasn't very good. But I thought that it was decent because I was kind of thinking like, well, I'm really good at presenting. I'm really good at communicating in front of people. You know, that's what I'm telling myself at the time. And I kind of was, but not that time. Long story short, the leadership of that company was very disappointed. And here's why that's really significant. There's a guy named Jim, Jim Tor, who's the founder and CEO and chief creative director and whatever all of his titles are. He started this company that I work with. And this was one of his big clients and he trusted me to do this. Because he, you know, believed that I would do a great job. But when I botched this presentation, leadership came to Jim and told him that they were really disappointed and that they basically expressed that they didn't have as much trust. And in my one failure of a presentation potentially and did lose lots of business eventually it came back around again later on in some fashion but it was massive it was a massive letdown for a person who had invested a lot in me trusted me with a lot And I knew how much it meant to him. It meant a lot to me. But man, I let him down. And uh, I don't know if it was the next day or the next week. But I went into his office, kind of a regular check-in. And I knew that we needed to talk about it. And in that conversation, I was expecting... I don't know what I was expecting. I guess I wondered what would happen. I felt so bad. And 
I, I kind of thought through like what are all the different ways that he could possibly respond. Like real irritation, kind of like tell me how he felt about it and express that frustration and disappointment. I was kind of hoping he would so that, you know, we could just get it out of the way. Because I just, I like I almost like wanted to be shamed from it, by it, because of it. But he did nothing but extend a massive amount of grace. And I knew that this was not a, this was not a good situation. This was this was hard. And he he maybe said one sentence about it and then basically said we move forward. We learn from it and we move forward. I was like, "What?" Like I'm thinking to myself, like you got to be kidding me. What just happened? Now I know this is I know this was hurtful for you. I know that this is a big deal. Why are you doing this? I didn't say that, but I'm thinking this like why are you doing this? He was so gracious about it. There was so much mercy. And what it stirred in me was pretty cool. It was a feeling of like oh you know how bad I feel about this, I think. And you're trusting that I'm going to take ownership of what happened and learn from it. And you don't feel the need to crush me. You don't feel the need to pound on this situation to try to tell me again and again and remind it and me and hold it over my head and none of that. Just a nonverbal, I trust you. You know I'm hurting. I know that you're feeling bad about it. We move forward now. That grew in me. The desire to learn from it, it grew exponential. I'm telling you, like, there's a desire to learn when you make a mistake, but when, when you know that that mistake impacts another person and that person shows mercy and grace to you, that desire to get better, it grows like the Grinch's heart, you know, in the cartoon just grows it it stirs this desire to get better but it also it shows you that you can trust this person it shows you that this person is not going to shame you shame is happens when we desire a connection with somebody and they're not available for it they refuse it maybe they manipulate us and you know, make us think that there's an opportunity for connection, but they never really allow it. And we feel shame when we want connection, but we can't have it. And in this, in this situation, I felt ashamed like something was broke between us. But very quickly, he he made it clear that he was still open and he was still connected. Um, and man, that that's good. That's so good. It's such a good experience. It's healing, you know, it heals... More than just what happened in that experience, it heals us in a way that's deeper than the experience because it helps to heal hurts from the past. Because there was, there's other situations in our lives where we feel shame, we make a mistake, or we don't even make a mistake, but the other person's toxic and they shame us for something and, and it hurts us. We go have these wounds and there's there's no ability to find connection with that person and then and you just walk away feeling shame and time goes on and that relationship disappears and 
but you carry that hurt. But then when you encounter this kind of mercy and grace, it's, it, it helps to heal the other stuff. It's powerful. It's so powerful. Um, I remember in grad school, long before this, this situation that I'm talking about, I set up a meeting with a professor that I was really excited to talk to. And I had to be there at a certain time, obviously, but I was working on homework and I lost track of time massively, like 30 minutes. I think by the time I actually ran across campus, I think I was like 40 minutes late. And I I show up at this guy's in this doorway and he's looking at his computer and I pop in. I'm like breathing heavy from running across campus and I said, I am so sorry that I'm late. I, I just lost track of time. I know that that was wasting your time. I'm so sorry. And again, like, you know, I felt so much shame. Like, man, I wanted connection with you. And you reciprocated and said you were willing to make time for me. You know, professors are supposed to, but still, he's a busy guy. He, was, he expressed enthusiasm to hang out. And I showed up so late. And he slowly turned around in his chair. Remember his white hair and white beard, his glasses. And he said, I will start being angry with you when I stop making mistakes. And then he smiled. And I said, you still have time to hang out? Like, yeah, I'd like that. And we had a great conversation. Man, I've never forgotten that. And when I was talking to Jim, when Jim did the same thing on a bigger scale, I thought of that professor. And I'm telling you, like, that that kind of experience, when somebody chooses to do an exceptional thing in a challenging and ordinary moment, a basic mistake, or in a bigger mistake, choosing to be exceptional with mercy and grace... It sticks with us. I think in the last 10 years, I could probably say maybe a dozen times, nah, 10 times, somebody has reached out to me for mentorship or some kind of help, and they either showed up late, really late, or forgot altogether. And I'm telling you, like, every time, I I, I so look forward to telling them I will start being frustrated with you when I stop making mistakes. And I don't know if it's ever meant what it meant to me. Like, I don't know if it's ever meant that much to a person that I've said that to. But it sure feels good because it gives me freedom from needing to feel frustrated. It gives me, it releases me. And uh, and I was thinking about times in my life like where that hasn't happened, where I've been shamed and where I made a mistake and somebody shamed me for it. And, you know, honestly, I couldn't think of one, which is crazy because I'm sure there has been. But what I, what I did think of was when people have shamed me, it's usually because of something they did or something they want to get away with or it's a mode of operation that they have. And they want me to feel like I made a mistake, but I really didn't. I feel like that; those are the memories that come to mind most. 
Which is interesting, you know, because there's always going to be somebody in your life who is unhealthy and they kind of thrive on taking you emotionally hostage. And one of the ways that people do that is they see that you desire connection with them and then they make you think that it's possible, but then they deny it in passive aggressive and aggressive ways. And then they invite you back in like, oh, no, 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 we're good. We're good. And then they do another thing. It's a we like they don't even maybe know they're doing it or they do know they're doing it, but they're kind of stuck in that pattern probably because it's been done to them or they've been really hurt. Um, they've been damaged. And so, you know, hurt people hurt people. And that's just what happens. And that's where we learn to create, have better boundaries and recognize when somebody's doing that to us. But again, when somebody, when we make a mistake and we feel like we deserve some level of ousting, you know, because we all know that like we do things that aren't right, even if it's a mistake or if it's just a willful doing something we shouldn't have done. And we sort of know that we're guilty of a thing and we kind of deserve to be cut off or like yelled at. And then somebody, when, when somebody brings grace to us in that way and they just remain open to connection and love us, it helps to heal over all that stuff. And it also helps us to see more clearly the other parts of our lives where someone's hurting us and not treating us that way. I was thinking about the story about Peter in the Bible where he denies Jesus. Jesus is arrested and he's in trouble and all of his friends kind of scatter. Peter kind of follows along to see what's going on because he beforehand was like, I'm going to always have your back. Promised Jesus, like, I'm always going to have your back. And then here he is kind of hiding, but following. And you could, in the story, you can kind of sense this tension in him of like, what am I, what am I supposed to do? And then somebody says, wait, aren't you friends with that guy? And he's like, no, no, I don't know him. And and that happens three times where somebody says, no, like I've seen you with him. And he says, no, I don't, I don't know that person at all. Um, just, you know, um, he feels ashamed and lies and sort of, you know, not sort of, but directly denies this person that he's said he would, you know, have his back. And so then Jesus is killed, he's crucified, and as this amazing story goes, Jesus rises from the dead, which um, in the Christian faith means it's a it's a promise, a first sort of sign of what God promises to do for all of creation, that everything that has been lost, that has been, that has suffered um, evil, pain, um, torment, abuse, like it'll all be undone and reversed and made new. All things will be made new. And so you have this like sign of things being made new. And then one of the one of the first things that Jesus does is he goes to this beach where Peter is fishing and he starts a fire and catches some fish himself without, you know, before Peter notices him on the on the beach because Peter's out on the water fishing. And um Peter notices that somebody's on the shore and he realizes it's Jesus. 
and he jumps out of the boat and like takes off towards Jesus to try to like, you know, go touch him, hug him, see him. He can't believe his eyes. And you could imagine like whether you believe the story is true or not, like imagine the characters in it and like, what's happening where you have um, this person who denied somebody and then that person is taken away. And so Peter desires connection with Jesus to say, I'm sorry, to, to reconnect, but he can't because he's dead. And that, that empty hole, you can imagine the hole in his, in his heart, in his being, like, ah, like, I, I don't get to make this right. But then he sees him, and he's like, I can make it right. And he runs, and he, you know, trying to say, like, no, I, I didn't mean to, like, I didn't want to. And anyways, he go, he, they have breakfast together, and in the same way that Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus asks Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? And he's, yeah. And every time he says, yes, you know that I love you. Um, it, the, the, the conversation, like there's three like unique things to each time that he says it, but the, the gist is, yeah, he, he asks him three times, like giving him a chance to restore, like to basically say like, Peter, I know you do. And this connection is open. Like we we are still connected. I'm not holding your sins against you, which is, you know, the profound message of grace. Um, but what also happens when, when Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, yes, I do. Jesus always responds with a statement of like, then basically like, then take care of the people that I love. Like, look out for people. Use your, your voice and your life to care for others, to love people the way that I have loved them. Take care of people. Um, and so you have Peter, you know, experiencing this grace, this mercy, this invitation to stay connected, even though he's made a mistake. And with that, he gains a greater sense of self and purpose. And there's a healing that happens, not just from the mistake he made prior to the crucifixion, but there's a healing and a wholeness that starts to take shape through all kinds of stuff in our lives. It's like a healing salve for hurts that we're not even conscious of. So here's a thought to consider. Um, if you ever dream about or desire, feel a desire to live a more meaningful life, to do something extraordinary, um, then I suggest preparing yourself to do exceptional things in ordinary moments like when somebody shows up really late for a meeting with you or when somebody makes a mistake and it impacts you choose to have an exceptional response and it's choosing to have an exceptional response of grace and mercy in those ordinary and challenging moments. That is what opens up the possibility for extraordinary things to happen. For the healing of minds and hearts and lives for the opening of new and good things, for restoration, 
to take place to participate in the restoration and healing that I believe God is doing has done, will do, is doing and that's truly one of the most profound ways to live an extraordinary life I believe thanks for listening to the Peg Leg Podcast peace peace